Welcome to Off the Rip with your hosts that front like they know the most. We talking smack about whoever, whatever is currently on our minds. We ain't no experts, so don't get hurt if we say something that rubs you the wrong way. This is a place where ideas get thrown out and tossed around. If you can't take the heat, get up out the kitchen. We about to serve them up. It's Reem D, Mook, and Shiz. It's Off the Rip. Nothing in common. Nothing to say, nothing in common. I can't stay comfortable comments. All right, so I got a question for y'all. I'm, I'm curious to see where you all side on this. So I saw um, this post a couple of days ago. It said, if your wife made 500000 could you be okay staying at home to care for the kids and clean? Absolutely. Right? Listen, I'll be one stay at home. I'll be the best stay at home dad, man. You ever heard that? You ever heard that? Folding clothes. Folding clothes. Jay Cole. I want to do the right thing. Yeah. I want to fold clothes for you. Listen, this house with a spot. Feels good. I'm up early. I'm up. Listen, I'm up early making my wife her little her little lunch bag. I'm listen. I would be. A, I would I'm love late. to do Come that. Come on now. Right? I would love to be a stay at home dad. I'm. I'm glad y'all agree with me. So that's what made me think. What type of person is not okay with that? Like, what type of man has so much trouble mm. with his wife being the breadwinner in today's society that he could say no to that question? Like, gotta, that's actually, what that gotta, makes me wonder. I got a um, a, a story about that. Mm. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say any names, but so it was, this time. always dropping. So it's it's a story that I got from somebody else. So my dad gets his hair cut and. One of the barbers in there ha- has a problem. He's like telling him he's gonna break up with this girl. Well, he was you're gonna get, you're gonna get your dad fucked up now. You're gonna come up with a weird <laughs> yeah, looking lineup now. I said one of the barbers in there. I'm not oh, there. Okay. It wasn't. Right. It wasn't a specific person. It was right. one of the barbers in the barber shop. Yeah. So he was saying that he doesn't. He feels like certain that he that women shouldn't be able to, not shouldn't be able to do certain things, but he was like he feels like less of a man if certain stuff happens. So like for example, his car broke down and he calls AAA, right? While they're waiting for AAA, the girl gets out the car because she was sick of waiting. She goes out there and changes the tire. <laughs> like it's raining too. She goes out there. You know, takes the tire off, changes the tire, and gets them going, right? So he was like, Why can't I want my girl doing that for me? So then he was like, Well, why didn't you do it? He was like, Well, I have AAA for her. So it's like, Well, if she did it for you, like, what does it matter to you? Like, if you had a problem with it, you should have went out there and did it yourself. If you saw it, it was like, Nah, I got this. He's like, So then there was another time where he was saying that, you know, she wakes up the next morning, he like goes, plays ball, whatever, like that. So she decides to throw on the shoes, go to the store down the street, pick up some eggs and, and, and bacon and stuff like that and cook breakfast for when he gets back. So his problem was, you know, why is she wearing my shoes to go? Why is she wearing my Tim's to go down the store? My biggest issue was why does she fit the same size shoe as you is, is, is the first thing oh I thought about. I <laughs> sound like one toxic ass relationship and I'm rooting for sis to get out of that. She only it's not even a toxic relationship. She literally is like just, you know, the, like every part of relationship, like if something needs to be done, you can get it done. What, what's an issue for but it? But it also sounds like he's nitpicking everything because he's he's not capable of doing it. 
Yes, that's what it's not, not measuring up somewhere else. Yeah, I don't exactly. know where it is. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I think I think it was already not giveaway with the shoe up. size. Not... <laughs> oh, damn, for real. But you know, he's falling short, wherever that may be, and so he, he's feeling inadequate or insecure about himself. He's projecting that on his wife or his his partner. Mm-hmm. It's just it, it's crazy to me because. Like, I know there are still people that would have a lot of trouble with that. Like, and I'm, I'm happy to say that I can't think of somebody in, like, my friends group that would say no to that question. But I know that there are people out there. And, like, bro, it's just tough to really comprehend how much, like, how, kind of, how much ego you have to have to be able to say in 2021, like, my wife can't make more than me. Like, I have to be the one to take care of the family. Right. You know? And... It makes me think of like, I don't want to just knock these dudes that have a problem with it because it's, it's more than that. It's, it's the fact that as a society, we expect men to still do that. We expect men to be able to make money and, and have these great careers so that when they don't, it's like every, like, it's like the world's over. Like if a man is not successful and doing well in his job, like what else does he have? Mm. Right. Like I was listening to this podcast and they were talking about like the differences between um man's expectations versus women's expectations and this person really overgeneralized it but basically was saying men are here just to work and provide for provide for their uh wife and children while women are here to take care of the kids and to have kids and they were just talking about you know which is more important and you would say the women's roles are more important in society so naturally men get um you know kind of knocked down in terms of importance which this person was saying why they believe, you know, women have this kind of like unspoken um, kind of heightened importance in society, you know, why, you know, and and all this stuff, which, you know, you can argue back and forth, but I I think it's an interesting point, kind of what a man's role is, especially in today's society, you know, what is a man supposed to be doing? Well, that, that is the lines very close to what me and Rashawn both do. And the fact that society is telling us uh, that men should be one thing, but the actions of society leave no space for men to be that. Mm-hmm. So there's a conflicting image or a conflicting narratives going on uh, about what you can and cannot be. And um, it leads to um, it leads to some very challenging spaces. Um, mm. You see it all the time, and and I we go through it. I mean, I go through it. Depression, so. freaking, even certain men taking their lives because they are trying to accomplish this status quo of what it means to be a man through society, through the society's lens. But I'll tell you one thing, though. Um, a lot of guys nowadays will talk that shit around being providers and stuff, but I bet you if anybody, at least anybody that I know would talk that shit, but if their wife was bringing home a half a million dollars, oh, they would happily happily be sitting on the couch right now doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> so I think it's just, come on. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's cap at the end of the day. It's all lip service until, you know, somebody's presented with that. Especially too, because, you know, I've seen so many examples of dudes who be crashing on their girls or like not just crashing on their girl's crib, but like relying on their girl, relying on their girl's car, relying on her Mm -hmm. card, 
relying on, you know what I mean? Like relying yeah. on her phone. You like, made Pew cash at me some money so I can get I've such seen, and such. Yeah. Like, so it's, I, it's, again, it's crazy that that's a sentiment because I completely agree. I could totally see how there's misguided men who think that, but then also like seeing probably those same men who think that are probably the same ones who are crashing on their girl's couch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, and not yeah. seeing the issue with that, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so your well, point it's, it's all, it's all projection at the end of the day. Yeah. It's something that they're, they're lacking. Right. And with that, like, I think people have such a tough time, tough time seeing both sides of that. That's why you have guys that can, you know, crash at their, their girl's crib like that can expect her to do a lot, but then at the same time still say, you know, I'm the provider, I'm the, you know, alpha in this household, you know, they can't make that connection that, you know, what they want to be and what they're saying is different from what they're actually doing. And mm-hmm. they, you know, come up with these excuses as to why I'm, I'm, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to get on my feet. You know, she's just helping me out. But after that, I'll be good. I'll be taking care of us. It's like, I mean, you know, like it, it's it's the mental gymnastics some people will go through for their own ego and just to help themselves feel better mm-hmm. it is absolutely wild to me. Instead of just accepting, you know, your challenges, your flaws and just growing from there, you know, it, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah man, man, that's a you hit the nail on the head. It's a deep ass uh, conversation. I think we should open that up to our uh, to our listeners too. If you if y'all are listening to this, man, and when this comes out, definitely uh, hit us up in the comment section of what you would prefer. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we could take a you know a poll to see where people are at and have like a discussion or something. Actually, yeah. I want to take it. I want to take a step further too so we can take the whole the whole money out of it i just want to figure out what people think that you know what they are bringing to a relationship anyway in general so if does a man have to feel like he's always a provider or does the woman have to feel like they're always provider what what do you what do, what do our listeners think that they're um what they bring to a relationship basically mm-hmm. i just want to see what what <clears throat> what they feel like their role in a relationship should be. Mm-hmm. I like that. I'd definitely be curious to hear to hear the female's perspective too. All of our female listeners, followers, I I want to know what what y'all think about about that MOOC and also just the the question in general. Like it is 2021, you know, like women are making money, men are making money, like we we can't have these gender norm expectations anymore, bro. Gender roles is something that just irks me. Mm. to beyond belief and like over the past like year i've realized how much the idea of gender roles just bothers me the fact that like boys have to play with blue stuff girls have to play with pink stuff the fact that you know guys are supposed to you know play this sport or be masculine in this way and it's like masculinity femininity like all that stuff was just made up by some guy who didn't know what he was talking about at the time and then people just like went with it and now we just continue to keep it it's like those old like y'all ever see those posts of like old laws for states that just haven't been abolished yet? Yeah. Like, and it's just like there's still active laws. Like, technically, you can get arrested for some of these things, but you just don't follow them anymore. Missionary sex. Yeah. Right. right exactly. Like anal sex being like illegal in some states. Or missionary sex, whatever. <laughs> this this some crazy shit. This is shit that this is shit that they. This is stuff that well, this is the stuff that they outlawed. It hasn't yet bro. been outlawed. Is that why she's not Vermont? Vermont might be a little different. I gotta. I don't know about that. Why is that in Vermont? I don't know about that one. 
So, babe, but, we can only do this in New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> yo, yo, that's wild. Speaking of, we really let Tiger live for taking Kylie to Texas or wherever that was. Oh, my God. Stop oh. it. Stop it. Stop well, it. While she was like 15 and he was 27 because the laws in Texas is like consents at 14. <laughs> I mean, you. Well, I mean, that's okay with that. If you wanted it something to be flying to Texas all the time. People like, was it Texas or was it somewhere out of the country? I don't know. I don't want to put that on Texas. Yeah, right. I think it, I think it, it might have been crazy. somewhere out of the country. But yeah, I mean, we just can't ignore the fact that yeah that happens too. You're absolutely right. But my fault, Kareem. You was cooking, my bad, bro. No, nah, you good. You good. It's nah, like it, was it's, it's just wild, bro. It's like there are a lot of things in this country, society that should be changed, but we just don't change them. Right? We've spoken on plenty. Whether it's school, you know, whether it's you know gender roles, whether it's you know yeah. relationship expectations. Oh, um, my fault, Reem. You just sparked, no, go ahead. Mind, go ahead. sparked a thought, but I, I want to say again uh, to take it a step further. I don't think it's it's unintentional. I think it's very intentional. Mm. You know, mm. I think no, it it's is very intentional. Uh, it wasn't just some guy somewhere who thought about it. You know what I mean? It's mm. like, nah, this benefits a certain group and this keeps a certain group down. And so mm-hmm. whoever's going to benefit, we're going to benefit. And it's even more, it's like, like when you think about it, it's not just like pink and blue. It's like, what do you see in a boy's eye mm-hmm. of a toy store? Mm-hmm. What do y'all you see? You see action figures, you see sports you stuff, see you see stuff. guns, you see construction. Yeah, yeah. Guns, trucks, mm-hmm. all that stuff. In the girl's aisle, you see what? You see like Barbies, dolls, dolls makeup. Kitchen, you know, coloring stuff, kitchen, kitchen domestic, stuff. Yeah, domestic, yeah, yeah. domestic yeah. stuff, like mm-hmm. you know, cooking, cleaning, makeup, mm-hmm. like that type of stuff. So we're enforcing these roles from again, like you said, Kareem, in so many different ways, and it goes to a deeper, dark, darker criminal link all the time because it's mm-hmm. not just like it's not just surface level. It's like I want that's what I'm trying to uh communicate or articulate that I want people in the audience. <laughs> And people just to know, like, there's deeper meaning to it. I want people to question that and to to analyze that and to, you know, have a critical um, lens on when they see this stuff so Mm. they can really see what's going on. Yeah. Because, yeah, when I I look at it, it's like, oh, there's pink on this side, there's blue on that side. We need to change the colors. It's like, no, 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 no. We're telling telling a deeper story than that, that you're reinforcing because you don't even acknowledge that it's happening. So... And that goes back into your your initial uh, question, Kareem, like the whole emphasis on being a provider and just women being portrayed as, you know, being stay at home parents and stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. it starts at a very young age and, you know, that aisle, those toy aisles influence that or at least reinforce, okay, this is the lane or the steps that you need to practice or follow, you know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Right. Like, like for you guys, you guys all work with kids at some capacity. Like, what is it like to have a conversation with a young, a young boy and try to to talk to him about showing emotion or talking about emotions or expressing any feeling at all? Well, before, before we go to there, hold on, like someone hold on to that, because I really do want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. I experienced um, something at Fenway the other day. I wish Trevor was here because he was there, too. Um, these these younger kids came in. I don't know, early high school, maybe middle school kids came in. Um, a group of them, like four boys and like one girl. One girl and, the, and one boy were like attached at the hip. Um, and then they come in 
uh, one of the boy, the boy who's with the girls wearing pink. And uh, so they come by and then they're all like, oh, yeah, well, this is our first game, blah, blah, blah. We're getting in. And then um, the guy in pink, like, lost his ticket or something. And then they started making fun of him. Like, oh, you, you lost your ticket, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, and you're wearing a pink shirt. Like, oh, look at him. He's wearing a pink shirt. Like, they started making fun of him for his pink shirt. And I was like, yo, that shirt is swag, bro. Like, don't what are you talking about? He's the only mm-hmm. kid here with a fashion sense, and he's the only one with a girl on his arm. So I'd, I'd listen to what he says and not y'all. Yeah, right. And then they all shut. They all shut up. And then the kid was like, "Ha ha ha," and like kept it moving. Right. So like mm-hmm. I, I was like, okay, I, I set that straight. But in my head, then I was like, damn. But even in setting that straight, I reinforce heterosexual norms or hetero mm-hmm. cis heterosexual norms by just assuming that that kid and that girl. We're together in that mm. because he's with that girl, he's cooler than the rest of y'all. Mm. So even in me trying to help this kid out and like and like put him up, but I still put put him, I put the group down mm. in a similar fashion. Like instead wow. of making it a teachable moment. And that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And so like that shit really, I was really thinking about that. And like, damn, I wonder how I could have played that out differently. Yeah. You know, but like it might, it's not something I like, think about all the time, but it's just like boom, like it was a snap, snap decision, snap happen. I'm like, nah, I'm gonna help this kid out. But yeah, well, I feel like in overall, like that, that's a good thing. They're like, yeah, like maybe you, you still enforce some stereotype, but like you called some kids out on some stuff. Like, why are they clowning their friend like that for wearing pink? Like, yeah. you called it out, and, and hopefully that enough just makes them think, like, okay, this random dude said something to us, like, yeah, you know. But you're right, because like, but that's so tough, though, because everybody has so many different identities. Right. So like if you try and challenge one, um, you know, uh, expectation or stereotype in an identity, you're probably going to be contradicted by the other. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you question the gender stereotypes, then you're you're going into, you know, sexuality stereotypes or you're going into, you know, ableism or you're going into race or you're going into religion like because there, there's the intersectionality of it all is like you can't it, it's so difficult to be yeah on the same page with everything because everything's so different and i think also because there was like humor in it mm. you know i feel like that was like it, it was a lighter i made light of the situation right so so it was like obviously but still it was it was something that crossed my mind Mm-hmm. that's dope though even yeah. working at Fenway like that's kind of crazy that you have opportunities like that to still you know impact people yeah oh, you, know, you might not think of that but I wouldn't think about that I guess I should say but that's yeah. dope yeah. oh also shout out to speaking of um working at uh Fenway man oh, yeah. shout out to yeah. you bro what was <laughs> yeah. it employee, employee of the year can I get a ticket yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. oh what what you know see who's on the field and everything Yo, got a little black I was shit. right next to Pedro Martinez I didn't even realize because he had his mask on and then he started what? speaking Spanish and he had the 45 I looked at him I was like oh snap you get that's, you get a picture that's Pedro I didn't get a picture you only took pictures with the Spanish people but yeah <laughs> it's it her- it Spanish Heritage Month, so I understand. Or excuse me, Hispanic Heritage Month or mm. Hispanic Heritage Day. That's but anyways, dope. um, that's dope, bro. That's dope. Pedro was there. Uh, some other dude in a wheelchair who's a Sox legend was there. I don't know who he is. Mm. They probably like the first Latino or Hispanic player for the Sox. But mm. um, 
like all, a bunch of other people were making a big deal about it and were like swarming him. And I was yeah. like, hey, who's that? Not knowing I was standing next to Pedro. <laughs> Me, Pedro Martinez. Right? That's he's, crazy. He's, pretty, so. he's like 5'9, bro. I thought he was like 6'2, dog. Mm. Just uh, seeing him on TV when I was younger, you know? On that mound, bro. Oh, that's dope man shout out to you bro for real Thank no, you, serious man. about serious about that ticket too you always got a ticket bro you know that word yeah bro I'm any lovely lady looking too. for a red Sox date hit up darius man employee of the don't year they, man. You nah, need to that's, i'm that. not taking no girl on a date there. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't they, didn't they even have like a date yeah, listen, show we'll too? have a we'll stuff? have a lovely fan uh join Darius on a nice little night out yeah, at the we'll park. Do that at, we'll do that at 500 subscribers. We'll do that. I'll, do that. I'll take. Oh, you I'll take a challenge. I'll, I'll, oh, that's a, a challenge right now. A challenge. Uh-oh. I'll take a fan to a game. You know what? I might buy some bots right now. <laughs> <laughs> right? I take. Yeah, 500. At 500, you can at mark that down. Luke. I yeah. mark that. Mark that one down. Yeah, oh, mark okay, that one down okay. at 500. Wow. I know yeah. the road to I'm about to hashtag the road all my to <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, oh, man. that's on But not mm-hmm. yo, we was going somewhere with what Reem was saying, yo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh Reem, do you remember your question? Please tell me what you do. Yeah, I was wondering what your guys' experience has been trying to talk to young boys about feelings in general, but asking them how asking them about talking to feelings. We need Kendrick and Armani here, man. Yeah, we got to. Yeah, we do. I hey, wish yeah. we could table that. I'd love to I get mean, some that opinions. Might, that might yeah. have to be a follow-up. Yo, shout-out yeah. to K-Dot. Shout-out to uh, shout my out to guys, Armani. man, from OB, Armani, and, and Kendrick. Yeah, man. two really Bro. smart, bright, young gentlemen, young kings. We got to get them on here, and, and uh, they definitely got a lot to share. Yeah. I would love to hear from them, and I'd love the audience to hear from them as well. Um, and I mentioned them. Because I I just believe the the what I witnessed the relationship that Rashawn and them built together, um, the companionship and just uh, the pouring into that everybody did, um, time, energy, uh, leadership, effort just was a great example of of, of what you're talking about. Um, so I don't know. I'm gonna hand it over to my brother Rashawn to talk about that some more. Yeah, man, I'm I'm over here trying not to get uh emotional, man, because I uh anytime I walk those halls, man, I'm thinking of thinking of those guys. But um, I feel like I learned a lot about what it means to be a man from those guys and just their work, um, and just figuring out ways to to be emotional. And being in those those conversations, having those tough conversations around what it means to be a man, which is one of our first questions. And, and you know, when does a boy become a man? And in that process, you know, over those three years, you, you really see their their viewpoints kind of shift, I think, in the conversations that we have, because um, it's it's. It's like one of those questions, when does a boy, be, when does a man become a boy? Or oh, when his balls drop? It's like little things just to be funny and stuff. But like when you really get into those conversations, it's, um, it's just, it's just dynamic. I don't, I don't even know how to like explain it, man. It's, it's, I don't know. D, I'm gonna throw it back to you, bro. Cause it's just, it's a, it's a dynamic. Yeah, man. Process. Um, I would say a lot of, a lot of it, Kareem working with the young men has been um, 
just holding space and listening, mm-hmm. you know, listening and not just listening, reflective listening, just being a sounding board for these young men to bounce ideas off of or just hear or process their own thoughts. Um, like, I really feel like, like, I, I, I know I do a lot in my job, but I feel like it's, it's not asking much. Like, I know it's, it's, it's a little thing I need to do and a lot will outcome from it. If that mm. makes sense. Mm. If there's anything I can do, this is what I can do. And a lot will come out from it. And that's just re- reflective listening and providing a space for them to be, for them to have an outlet and express right. themselves. That's mm. the biggest, that's the biggest thing. And I think that's the foundation. And again, cause if I bounce a question back, like, yo, I was late to my class today, but my teacher was tripping on me when I walked in, you know what I mean? I'm like, Oh, you were late to class and you you relate to class and your teacher tripped on you and then it's like oh yeah well I was that's why my teacher tripped because I was late to class and mm-hmm. so it's like now I can the scholar reflects on the whole interaction and not just their role in mm-hmm. the action right right uh, yeah I think that's what um I mean just this work and I Kareem I know you you do this a lot with like um your clients and stuff it was more so just like D said, is, is providing that, that guidance of just being that soundboard. But, you know, before it was always listening to give a response. And when you do that, like you're not listening at what people are saying. You're just, oh, I got to respond just so I feel like I'm, you know what I mean? It, uh, just so I feel like I'm giving them what they want to hear rather than taking, as D said, what they say and just kind of like that mirror just holding that back up and okay this is what you said now let's process this let's break this down and now we can kind of guide through okay this is what you said but you know once we get through this process is a completely different outcome of oh shit i'm tripping or that's that situation with the teacher or the teacher was bugging because of x y and z but i also played a part in the reason why the teacher was tripping you know, cause I, I fail to acknowledge my shit. So, um, yeah, I think that this, this work within itself has definitely allowed me to become more of a active listener rather than just, okay, let me just respond and, and say some shit because I was kind of trained to do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. All right. What about you, Mo? And, and uh, the, the scholars you work with, the kids you work with? So I kind of have like a, a different perspective because, as you know, I coach AAU, but I also coach college basketball players. And they're not very different in how they perceive things. So a lot of time my job as being assistant coaches, I'm kind of like the funnel between, like I'm kind of like the filter between the coach to the players. So it's kind of like my, my position is like a lot of times, obviously, you know, coach is going to MF you out and, you know, tell you what you're doing. And my job might be, okay, go down here, but listen, this is what he's saying. You can't, you have to understand what he's saying on here. We can't keep going over something in practice. And then once we get in the game and you do what we've been saying not to do. So as being like that third voice, you kind of, you kind of get an understanding for people a lot more because you're funneling the same information right back to the coaches. So a lot of times it might be like, you know, obviously sometimes a coach, they might not want to tell a coach something that happened to them today. They might tell me that like, Hey, listen, 
This is why he's reacting the way he is today. You know, something's going on at home and stuff like that. And you have to, you know, kind of be that moderate. There's been a few times where it's like, you know, people are acting out and obviously, you know, you can't just act out like that. But I mean, there's a consequence for it, but there should always still be an understanding for why something did happen. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. being being that voice, like I, I love that that's my position on the team is having that voice between the players and the coaches. The players trust me, the coaches trust me to, you know, communicate with the players. So, I mean, having those players trust, especially, you know, some of those guys, you know, obviously you've only had for a few months and stuff like that. And the fact that they've already, you know, instilled this trust in you, you know, says a lot about, you know, the relationship that you have with these guys. Mm. And in order to build that trust, you got to meet them halfway. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, that's dope. Managing different personalities and being able to advocate for them, man, is we're all doing the same type of work. Absolutely. I think that that speaks volumes. That makes me think like that speaks volumes to your ability to build relationships with with players. I don't know how long you've been working with some of these kids and some of these college athletes, but it I imagine some of them are probably shorter and some of them you maybe have longer relationships with. But to be able to somebody that to be able to be somebody that a majority of people feel comfortable to go to, like that can't all just be rapport building. Some of that has to be they saw one player go to you and they liked your response. So they said, "Okay, I feel comfortable going to this person, not knowing how this person's going to respond, but trusting that he'll look out for me and have my best interest. And like that, that to me is what I look for. Like that speaks volumes like. It's one thing if you got a kid that you've worked with for a few years and they can come to you, they trust you, like that's dope. But when you can have, you know, a brand new kid, like in, you know, like in a scholars program, you got a brand new kid come into your group and open up or you have a brand new basketball player come in and talk to you. Like that's how you know you're doing right because they come in, they assess the environment, they assess the group and realize, hey, this is somebody I can go to, you know? So like that, that's dope to hear. It kind of made me think though, Mook, um, when we were watching, um, Last chance you what was it? Last chance you for the basketball one though? Oh yeah. I was just thinking the, the, the wheelchair. Uh, I, I don't know oh, yeah. you call the wheelchair yeah. coach, but um the coach, um <laughs> the, 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 the assistant coach, thank you. Yeah, and yeah, just how just he a... had that relationship with the players where the players would go to him and wheelchair, talk to him. Asshole. And I know that was a dickhead thing to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh they would go to him and he would kind of be the person that understands the background for why this kid just freaked out, you know. And yeah, that, that's incredibly important in sports, but just in general that people have somebody to go to yeah. like that. Because you don't realize, you know, on every level of basketball, how important your assistant coaches are, as you probably could, uh, as you two probably um, be able to say, you know, you probably were recruited when you went to college by an assistant coach. The head mm-hmm. coach probably was one of the last people to conversate with you but it was the assistant coach of the ones that were going to those games and they they start that initial process you know most times you choose to go to you know a particular school because of the relationship you build with that assistant coach and you know mm-hmm. he's the one that's telling like hey you know he's he's pretty much your confidant at this point because he's the one when you know something's going wrong at school that you probably lean on to, to have a conversation and obviously you have a relationship with your head coach everybody does but I feel like your relationship with your sister coach is a little more personal than your relationship with your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish I had an assistant coach like that. I didn't have that at Wheelock. <laughs> Y'all have an assistant? 
No, nah, we did, but I was recruited by a head coach because never mind. Sorry, I didn't mean to make it about me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had some I wish I had, you know, an Uncle Phil or somebody who got to talk to. Mm. <laughs> Would have been nice. Would have been nice, huh? Would have changed some things, maybe? Maybe. 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 But, yeah. Nah, I think, yeah, to Mook's point though, I think assistant coaches don't, like you said, don't get enough praises for the work that they do because they are as you said the the um the glue that just kind of connects the the players with you know the coaching staff and stuff yo yo mm-hmm. so y'all just said something that also came up for me and that i'm also seeing um a pattern in is and you just said i didn't have the uncle phil um and just like all of us we all are that person for somebody now Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know if it comes from the void of not having a person like that in mm-hmm. our lives. I don't want to speak for everybody, but even though I have great examples of like male role models, but I think there's something to be said about the the near peer mm-hmm. experience as well. Um, and I learned what near peer meant when I went to City Year. Um, and they told me they only want people from 18 to 26 because you can be a near peer to the student. And, mm-hmm. and so it's like you're old enough to have experience and like know a little bit more about life, but you're still young enough to connect with the scholar. You're young enough that you're still seen as cool, as hip, as like in, in the know. And so the scholar will listen to you differently than that scholar would listen to someone who's mm. a lot older. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I was I needed that like big brother where I was at. Um, and I didn't have that. And one thing that made me mad was I grew up in Amherst. Amherst is known for having five colleges and Amherst is known for being a progressive and liberal place where it's supposed to be everybody's woke or whatever woke before woke was a thing. Right. <laughs> and, um, especially in these schools with these really well-known, um, African-American studies departments and these Black people who were there will always talk about the issues, but nobody would come down to the school and actually do anything. Mm. No services were provided. Nobody would even come and do like homework help. Like it was just like everybody here is talking to talk. Everybody here wants to sound like they're doing good and it wants to sound good, but nobody's on the ground level, boots on the ground, actually doing something about this. And that's one of the things that made me like extremely upset. And that's one of the reasons why I do what I do now, because I don't just want to be the one walking the walk. I mean, talking to talk, I got to be able to walk the walk. And like, mm-hmm. I really do believe that there's a thing to having that again, near peer and, and helping um, just be there and not mentor or whatever coach or whatever that, that uh, young man um, along his path into becoming a man as well. No, nah, I wish I had that too, D. Now you brought yeah. up an interesting point because um, because we can't always talk about what we want to talk yeah. about with our parents. Yeah, yeah. What I pops with my dad. Yeah, I could never talk to him about some stuff. And to me, like I, my dad's not even like as strict as some other dads are. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. And, and the way that the way that is changing now, specifically yeah. now, to be a man at my dad's born in 1966, so when he was 20 mid-20s 30s that's the 80s and 90s to be a man is 
completely different. Completely different now. Yeah. Than what it was then. Yep. And so to try to navigate that field on my own is extremely difficult. And and like just knowing your dad, I know he did the best he could for the experiences he had back then, but still it didn't really relate to the shit that you were dealing with as and a teenager. Absolutely. Seeing that he grew up in Detroit. Right, right. On eight and, miles. Yeah. I, well, damn. So yeah, it's, it's a completely it's a different, that's different survival. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I wish I had someone like me in high school, especially at a predominantly all white school. Like, I wish I had that. I wish I had me. And, 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 yo, and again, <laughs> I think the effects of being a black man in a predominantly white institution are not looked at. No. Especially in high school. No. I don't think we know really the psychological damage that it's done. I don't know the psychological and, and, damage but that But sometimes for our myself. peers, too, from our peers, too, yeah. who went from, from a few of my friends who went to, you know, uh, BPS schools. Um, yeah. Boston public schools and stuff, it was seen as a, a sense of, of privilege, but in a lot of ways, it's a different type of struggle in, in, in navigating that, being one of uh, few people who clearly don't, you know, that that are just, you know, trying to get by and stuff and trying to to navigate this world of, and especially for me out in Weston, it would, that's a different, that's, that's baller status. Like motherfuckers who live out there don't just have money. Like that's, yeah. that's money, money. Right. right. And navigating that at a young age was, was different. And my parents did the best that they could. My dad was like, yo, that people out there will make examples out of you because you were black. And that's coming from a place of where he grew up in the sixties and stuff, sixties and seventies in a, in a Boston place where they had the Boston busing crisis where you couldn't even go into East Boston because niggas was being beaten up and stuff you were being ran out of certain places in south boston now you can go anywhere right but that's where he came from and not to say that i had a lot of positive black role models growing up i still do and to be honest with you a lot of the shit that those positive black male role models have said to me i'm starting to get now right so Mm -hmm. i wish i had somebody who was like my age in high school, who was president, who was in the cafeteria when we checking in on me, you know what I'm saying? If I had a situation with a teacher who could be there to advocate for me, because the teacher, in a lot of ways, she got these preconceived notions of who I am based off of what the fuck I look like. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But having someone to advocate with me and articulate that and to pretty much say, you know what, he's dealing with this. And also, bitch, you are tripping. You know what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> I wish I had I wish I had that and I think that like to your point D it's it's needed more than ever yeah because this is this is something that as you said what it what it means to be a young man uh, especially a young man of color a yeah. teenager it's 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 fast it, it's a it's a it's evolving by the years and stuff and what we think now 10 years from now will be completely different and then we'll That's be out true. of the conversation but there'll be somebody else that could fill that void for us Right. Yeah. It makes me think there's like this um, meme, just not even a meme, but just a picture of a guy presenting to a lecture hall or whatever. And on the slideshow, it says, um, be the person you needed when you were younger. And like just that image itself stood out to me. Like I have it saved in my phone and it, it just like means so much because I, I think about like, like you guys were just talking about what, 
what we needed when we were, you know, high school, elementary school age. And like, similar to you guys, I grew up in a very white area. So I didn't have many people that look like me, many role models that look like me. And D, you said something that just made me think about like you saying the the damages that that can, that can do for somebody when they're not around people like them or that are, have similar experiences or, or beliefs as them. Um, and I think about how for like me, that caused me to ignore a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have, you know, like subtle comments that weren't necessarily like hateful or meant to hurt. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Microaggressions, microaggressions, but like they, there's, they have a deeper root of, of kind of, of ignorance, you know, and that, and it and made me, re- I was going to say, it made me, it made me ignore a lot of that stuff. But as I got older and reflected on it, I realized like, wow, a lot of these kids, you know, did treat me differently purely because I looked different from them. But I don't think it was like in a, in a, in a racist way in terms of they, they hated me or they, even that they thought they were better than me. They literally just looked at me as different and just not even like higher or lower. They looked at me as different and therefore treated me mm. differently, you know? And, and that's, what's just like crazy because I think about the damage that that did like, and maybe it didn't damage me, but it changed something about how I perceive things to now as the 27 year old, I can look back and reflect on that stuff and think about where I'm at, where I'm at and try and figure out how that might've impacted me, you know? Yeah, man, absolutely. Absolutely. I just needed somebody to tell me you're not crazy. Mm. Like, like your, your anger and your frustrations, like, being labeled as effortless or teachers saying you always talk or being saying you're a distraction to the class like that's not that's not you man like like or or like let's look at your role in that Mm. right let's look at your role in that and let's look at the impact but at the same time like i have lived a similar experience right i've also been through this as well you know like just someone who's who, who, again a soundboard someone that they're just like yo you're not alone dude someone to validate you man yeah so many times i'd be like yo am i fucking crazy dude like am i am i nuts or, or is everything around me just is out of whack and it's mm-hmm. like it must be fucking me it must be me everybody else is doing it everybody else is fine everybody else is surviving everybody else is getting good grades Mm. but every time i make a fucking joke it's all right now you're suspended Mm. it's like okay i can't do certain shit then Mm. Then it's like i get angry like okay this person this white boy can say all the fuck he wants he can take the fries out the lunch monitor's hand and and nothing happens (laughs) they want to make an example out of you bro i could i I could get sent to the dean's office for because i was in orchestra and i forget my violin i get sent to the dean's office Mm mm-hmm I get Saturday school because the blind girl falls down the steps. I you know I mean I didn't crack a joke. But I mean, even to that point, me of cracking jokes when I feel um uncomfortable, like in those situations, when I look back at it. I'm making, I'm cracking black jokes. I'm al- I'm almost joking about myself so that white people don't see me as a threat. 
kind of crazy. It's just. Yeah, but it's like a learned thing. At some point, you realize that works, you know? You know? Like, damn, I got to make jokes about myself just to kind of disarm the situation. (laughs) Mm. It's fucked. Right. You don't realize until we get older that the shit that we put ourselves through. Yeah. Mentally, Mm -hmm. just to cope with our situations, just to cope with our surroundings. Right. Even having Mm. showing up with a teacher being like, I'm like, yo, I'm going to take Holocaust honors. The teacher's like, you shouldn't take that class. Like it's a rigorous class. It's like, damn, yo, so mm. so am I stupid? Mm. That's the thing, though, like, is not not to give that teacher a break, but a teachers don't all get the same education. I don't think many of them really understand the impact of their words. I think now we're starting to realize that they need to understand the words they're choosing, but like. Mm-hmm. When we went to school, I don't think there wasn't as much of an emphasis on mental health. So like teachers would say shit like that to people and they wouldn't think twice about it. But now we can look at it and say, if a teacher questions you going to a class and saying that's a really hard class, your next logical assumption is mm-hmm. a really hard class. Does, does the teacher think I'm not capable of doing that hard work? Right. Like wh- what else are you going to think? And then from there, you can only imagine like how that kind of bubbles up in, in insecurities for that student. Mm-hmm. And like, it's mind blowing to me that we're just now realizing like the importance of educators academically, but also as mentors, as supports, as emotional people, you know, the words mm-hmm. they use are important because these students are sponges and they take in everything. And even though we think kids are just kind of like airheads and don't pick up on stuff, kids are extremely aware and they oh, yeah. recognize this stuff. They understand yeah. what you're trying to get to. You can tell a kid a general thing and they understand uh, you know the point of what you're trying to get at. You know, it, yeah. they don't they don't miss much, really. I think a lot of these PDs. I feel like some of these PD now PDs now are like you said, gearing professional so, developments. Yeah, professional developments are gearing yeah. more so towards like social emotional learning because I feel like in a lot of ways now working closely with teachers and stuff, a lot of them are dealing with shit, and a lot of them bring that shit to school. There's, I noticed in, in past experiences that there's a lot of projection from teachers. And like you said, students pick up on that shit. So imagine mm-hmm. a kid who is extremely depressed because he's just trying to get, he or she's trying to get by in school and a teacher snaps or says something the wrong way. That shit might stick with that kid for the rest of his life, his or mm-hmm. her life. Like that's, that's, you know, that's the impact. Um. D, you tripped us out, bro. Because you just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought the time just like stopped, bro. I'm like, yo, what's good with this dude? He ain't even blink. But um, yeah. So I, I just, I, I think that uh, you know, teachers gotta gotta clear whatever shit that they got going on, man, before they step in the classrooms or or figure figure find a safe space to to do so. Because just as much as students are learning from them. They could also learn some stuff from our from our scholars, man. Absolutely, works both ways. Yeah. To be honest, I think we learn more from from our scholars or athletes or whatever capacity that you have these relationships. But I think you learn more from them than you learn about yourself. Mm-hmm. Like I always tell, I I remember I told my kids, I was like, I'm gonna become a better better father because of the lessons I've learned with you guys, good, bad, and indifferent. All the all the stuff that they've 
they've taught me as well as, you know, I, even though they say that, you know, I teach them stuff all the time, but they teach me more than, than, than they could actually ever imagine. Because I always tell them all the time, like, I just hope that, you know, once they're done with me, that they decide that they want to, you know, help the next person up, you know, yeah. teach the next person, you know, so that they have, you know, like, like she says, like they have a figure, like, like, you know, they have me in their life, you know, they can be me for somebody else. Yeah, man. Damn. We two mm-hmm. for two with these, with these deep conversations, huh? Mm-hmm. Some, some real vulnerable moments here, y'all. Oh, that's the, that's the point of off the rip, man. Yeah, it's real OTR topics right there. For real. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Everybody else, I feel we can wrap it up there. Yeah, I, I think we're good right there. Beautiful. Yeah. I just want to just want to give a shout out real quick to Lamar Jackson. Y'all are sleeping on Lamar Jackson. You know, oh, give him his respect. Give every him year. respect. That's all I gotta say I after can't last believe night. Y'all try to say he's a wide receiver. He's an NFL MVP right there. Social constructs, right there. Is it is that social is that kind of racist though? It is a racist. social construct. Okay. Right. Whoa, is it racist? I mean, is it, is yes. it racist? Because Absolutely. they didn't say Josh Allen should play tight end. Josh Allen threw 15 touchdowns in college. Josh Allen, said, Josh Allen is not an athlete like yes, Lamar he is. An athlete. Yes, not he to, is. Not to that no, extent. Not, Kareem, Lamar, not you reinforcing no, no. these racial stereotypes. I'm not, I'm not enforcing it, but, you know, when we, when we throw Lamar the Jackson R word out Louis, there. Did you watch Lamar Jackson at Louisville? Yes. yes. Even though he was just running, he was throwing bombs. Left and yeah. right. I, I don't get why there was any question that he could play quarterback in the NFL. I agree with you. My question is, was it racist for them yes, to say there's that? There's no other reason why. <laughs> if there's no other reason why, then what's the only reason left? I mean, it could be a little less than racist. It could just be prejudiced. It could be a little ignorant. Mm. It could be... What? Um, <laughs> yeah, ignorance is racist. Not always. My book. Yeah. My book. Who this... owns the NFL? Kareem, Kareem. Yes. Kareem. I don't know. The QB Who? position in the NFL is what? To white? white position, yeah, it's a white, predominantly white, white position, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah. what's the main position. reason why they say that some black athletes can't play the QB position because they're not smart enough, they can't yeah, read the playbook, the IQ, right? And so, why then would you say Lamar Jackson can't play QB? They have no proof saying enough, that he's he not the playbook, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, no, I, 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 I again agree that the take was a horrible take. My it came off extremely racist, guys. He's yeah, athletic, that's fair. Man. He that's fair. Jump like a <laughs> he can jump like a gazelle, yeah. He can jump <laughs> hands yeah. like chimpanzees. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- there's yeah, Bro, did there's... they say that about Johnny Football? Did they say that about fucking Johnny Football legitimately was partying every the week? Only... He's smart enough to play the quarterback. You know what? <laughs> the only thing that wasn't racist was when Julian Edelman came in as a wide receiver. Nah, that shit felt racist. <laughs> <laughs> he said that shit felt racist. Yo. Yo. <laughs> Any white boy in Boston balling feels racist, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yo, that is a, honestly, honestly though, that's another, that's a conversation for another day, bro. Wow, wow. Although, although, um, I mean, outside of football with Julian Edelman, although Larry Bird was a balling ass, I mean, he could ball, but 
that's all we talk about. Ooh. That's all Boston talk about is Bird. Nah. It's because we have nothing else to talk about. Yeah, I mean, we can't talk about Bill Russell, bro. We can't talk about him. Oh, Y'all act like that saying. championship. I know what you're saying. You you know what you're in, saying? in terms of players or just? Yeah, the never, so Bill okay. just never gets brought up. Bill is, Bill's in a tough. 18, yeah, Bill's in a tough situation because he of did that, it during right? segregation. Bro. Yes. So literally every <laughs> black player played for one team. <laughs> 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 they couldn't go anywhere else. <laughs> Yo, yo, Mook, you gotta chill. Yo. Uh, Mook, this wasn't Glory Road, nigga. Like, and Landon Hobbs like, nope, we can't have them down here. We can take Bill Russell. Give us the fucking escape. Tell them niggas to move out west. Yo, yo, where's that clip? I told y'all Babe Ruth is black. Uh, oh, yeah, I did send that in the group chat. Oh, you said, you said, you said Babe Ruth was out there. Yeah. He was passing, bro? But Yeah, man. He, he was biracial angel. Uh, mm. <laughs> oh, that's gonna hurt some feelings. Yo, didn't he play for the Red Sox though? Yeah, that's the whole curse, up. bro. What are you talking yeah, about? Wait, the Bambino curse. Are you from Boston? No, but wasn't that? It's no wasn't, curse was, anymore. Was, 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 was Yaki? Win, was Yaki the owner of the Red Sox? Is that why? Yeah, because he, he found out he was black. That's why. Mm, that's why he traded his ass, bro. Wow. They said they wouldn't let him on the team because he um wanted to integrate with black players. He was. They say he was like the first person like supporting Jackie Robinson. Yeah. Mm. I can't I'm tell not. if y'all are making stuff up or just real. Watch the video. I'm not. These they are said, actual They claims. said they I'm said Babe Ruth was down there on the okay, chicken okay. circuit. We gotta take we gotta take our heroes back, yo. <laughs> true. They, always, true they take ours. I'm taking Babe Ruth. Yo, Babe Ruth is black. I mean, props to Babe Ruth. I don't really. We, I don't care for trade, baseball much. Trade Tiger Woods for Babe Ruth. Whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> Tiger is still Tiger. Like exactly, that's what he is. He's Tiger. He he's said Tiger. He's, he says he's black. He said no, I'm Tiger. The first shizzle. <laughs> I've always wanted to say this. For shizzle. Bye bye, fried rice. <laughs> 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 Oh man! Uh, what did Wu Tang say? It was like Kunichiwa, bitches. <laughs> oh, he's so Yo. funny! Oh man, I think it's. Uh, I think we can wrap it up now. Great, yeah. great segment. Hey, wrap it up, B. That's the name of Dave Chappelle. Sorry. <laughs> wrap it up. <laughs> oh shit. All right, but like I said, you can find us at offtherip.podcast. Also at offtherip underscore podcast. We are, ladies and gentlemen, we are on the road to 500. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we are. Okay, then. 500, baby. Yeah, we need sir. to get us to 500. So, if you haven't merch before, coming, yo. Absolutely. If you haven't before, like I always say, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to give us a listen. You won't be disappointed. And follow us on social media because we need to hit that five. Yo, if we don't hit that five within the next month, actually, that's a force. We ain't going to get there in the next. Now, you know what? I'm going to speak that into existence right now. We're going to get there next month, even if we pay for a little bit of a <laughs> fall. <laughs> you stupid. We on the box. <laughs> Oh, what's that? Those we got, we got little stickers. Right? Oh, hold yeah, on, sorry. We're gonna, we gonna close oh, out. Sneak peek. Love y'all. We'll see y'all next uh, sneak peek. Some next new, week. Some new merch. 